You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound off. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Democrats 2020 odds to be tested by impeachment hearings. Meanwhile, good news for Joe Biden. Joe Biden leading in a new Granite State poll. The first primary state in the nation, New Hampshire. We'll bring you the latest on the 2020 campaign front as well. And Wall Street waiting for President Donald Trump's remarks tomorrow before the Economic Club of New York. The latest on reading the U.S.-China trade tea leaves. Lots to get through. Dave Brown's here, Democratic strategist, former advisor to Senator Patty Murray. Emily Miller returns, Republican strategist and former State Department deputy press secretary. But first, let's get a check on the headlines from my good friend, Nancy Lyons. Nancy? Hey, Kevin. Thanks. Another Republican congressman is opting out of running for another term. New York's Peter King discussed his decision on WOR's The Len Berman and Michael Rydell show. King told them it was not an easy decision. It was a season for everything. And uh, after 14 terms, 28 years, and that's four days a week in Washington, I just felt it was time to uh, do something different, stay here in Seaford and spend more time with my family. King says President Trump's ongoing impeachment battle did not factor into his decision. Well, public impeachment hearings begin this week. Two days of hearings are scheduled on Wednesday and Friday. White House Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney has been among those who've defied a subpoena from impeachment investigators. Now he's facing opposition in his bid to join a lawsuit over testimony that was brought by former National Security Advisor John Bolton and his deputy. He has Mulvaney has asked to sign on to the lawsuit brought by Bolton and Charles Kupperman, who are asking a court for clarification on compliance with congressional subpoenas. The Washington Post quotes people so- close to Bolton and Kupperman who say they consider Mulvaney a key participant in Trump's alleged effort to pressure Ukraine to pursue investigations of his political opponent. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan has been urging Marylanders today to set aside time to honor veterans by raising a flag and simply saying thanks. These small but meaningful gestures honor the spirit of Veterans Day and remind us never to forget or to take for granted 
the incredible debt that we owe to all of those who have worn the flag of our nation on their arms. Hogan spoke this morning at the state's World War II memorial. Public and private school teachers can now start voting on their choice for the Maryland State Board of Education. Voting began yesterday to choose an active school teacher from among 13 teacher candidates to fill a board seat for the next two and a half years. Voting ends November 17th with the results to be released December 23rd. Maryland State Education Association President Cheryl Bost says it'll be good to have an active practitioner of teaching on the board to provide a voice for the profession. Another new board seat will be filled by a parent. Amy Morris, Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. It is time now for the Beltway Business Report. For that, we go to Bloomberg's Tracy Jockey. There's been at least one Wall Street record in five of the past six trading days. The Dow climbed 10 points to a record 27,691. The Nasdaq fell 11 points to 84.64. The S&P is down six points. The Dow did it with Boeing's help after Boeing mapped out a 737 MAX return to service over the next two months. An all-day bright spot was Walgreens. Bloomberg News reports KKR, a New York private equity firm, has approached Walgreens about buying out shareholders. There's no guarantee anything will happen, but the stock is up 5%. Amazon's preparing to launch a new supermarket brand, one that is not based on Whole Foods or its cashierless Amazon Go convenience stores. Amazon has posted four job listings in Los Angeles for what it describes as its first grocery store. They've been selling jewelry in Woodbridge for 30 years. Now the owners of Jewelry by Designs want to explore other interests. They are closing the store. Inside Nova reports the going out of business sale starts tomorrow. You're up to date on business from the Beltway to Baltimore. I'm Tracy Jonke. This is Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Thanks, Tracy. Global news 24 hours a day on air and at TikTok on Twitter, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Nancy Lyons. Back to you, Kevin. Thank you, Nancy. Happy Veterans Day, everybody. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm joined by two political all-stars, Dave Brown, Democratic strategist and former advisor to Senator Patty Murray and Emily Miller, Republican strategist, former State Department deputy press secretary. Emily, I know the veterans are, are, and veteran advocacy groups are something that you're incredibly passionate about. You and I have shared that in common throughout our friendship. Mm-hmm. What what did you do today to honor veterans and what did you do over the weekend to honor veterans or how can we remember them and keep them uh, in, in our thoughts today? Thanks, Kevin, for making me feel like a totally horrible person right now. Why <laughs> I've been sick all weekend, so I didn't do anything. No, but you always keep them in mind. I know. No, of course. I, um... I mean, just, she's being so <laughs> humble and modest right now. Great start to the show, Kev. What uh, I usually do on Veterans Day, if I wasn't... so much. Yeah. I was in bed, as you can hear, for, yeah. well, on Thank date. you for coming on and being sick. Well, I know, right? You over the veterans, right, Kevin? So um, what I usually do on Veterans Day and on Memorial Day is go to Arlington. Yeah, and, and Yeah, go to the graves and especially go to the newer graves which is sort of heartbreaking obviously the ones from Syria the, those we're losing in Syria they, some consider the forgotten exactly you don't exactly. yet have gravestones Dave uh, you know Veterans Day just so much going on in the city and I, I was at Dog Tag Bakery as you guys both know one of my favorite spots in all of Washington DC just the advocacy work that they do with veterans and financial literacy and how they partner with Georgetown University I, I, th- I don't think we talk about veterans issues enough 
I, I agree. And, and, you know, my first job in D.C., Kevin, when I moved here in 2011, was, was getting to serve uh, Chairman Patty Murray at the time when right. she chaired the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee. And so I oh. got to spend the bulk of my time on Capitol Hill uh, in service to veterans. And obviously I'm a, you know, son and, and grandson and my brother's active duty right now so this Your is certainly is. Yeah, yeah so this is um mm-hmm. what this is, is a, in what service is he he's he's in the army oh, great. which much of my father's dismay my father was an air force pilot so you know, <laughs> my, my brother is a grunt and he's mad yeah yeah, yeah totally that's um, awesome but no kev I, I think you raise a really important point and and you know amid all of the sexier headlines um the focus on reform at va the the yes. fact that we still haven't uh fully resolved the claims backlog the fact that we still have very Suicide. i think serious issues exactly thank you oh, mental health PTSD. PTSD. So, um, yeah, in fact, I think we should do an entire show on those issues. I would love, I would love, I would love to. to. I, I would, would love, love to. to do it. We'll do it. We'll do something uh, in the next couple of weeks. I've been everyone knows this uh, dog tag bakery. I just think they do incredible work. And so we've been having some private conversations with them about ways to talk about some veterans issues when we're ready to disclose. We will. Very cool. And um, what was I going to add on that front? There is so much going on. Uh, this week, I'm actually the grandson of a Purple Heart. Wow. What? Uh, yeah, I know. My my dad's father uh, received the Purple Heart. In which war? In World War II. Really? I know, yeah. So that's a fun fact. Little known facts about Kevin Cerulean. We're so grateful for all of the service that's amazing. Uh, that families do and everyone. We should keep talking about them. All right. With that intro done, let's talk about impeachment. I dun, know, dun, right? dun. All right, so so the hearings start this week, and I was prepping for these hearings. They start Wednesday, and I'm not sure, Dave, that one, the American people are going to be closely following the ins and outs of this, and two, that it will change the trajectory of the 2020 race. What about what are you, what's your broad takeaway of this? Yeah, broad takeaway is it's it's way too early, I think, to reach a conclusion on either of those points. Um, definitely agree with you uh, on 2020. I think that's an open question. And I think, you know, for for House members, Democrats who who flipped seats that uh, Trump won in 16, obviously the stakes are, are quite high for them. I think 30 or 31 seats. Um, the presidential field has largely answered the question, right? I mean, there isn't a huge variance other than maybe Tulsi Gabbard on whether or not they think the president should be impeached. So I think at least in terms of presidential politics, it's settled on that level. Um, but for purposes of Wednesday and onwards, yeah, I mean, look, you know, I th- over 2,700 pages of transcripts have already been released. Um, Democrats and, and, and committees have done very important work in terms of the depositions that have happened. Uh, and now uh, this is a public process. And, and so from a Democrat's perspective, you, you know, being able to really ensure a cogent narrative and helping walk the American people through the testimony in a way that is meticulous, transparent, and also um, understandable and relatable, I think, is going to be a very important task. And when you have folks like Senator Rand Paul and others who are really trying to muddy the water, that's when it gets, obviously, the politics get super tricky. Well, you mentioned Kentucky Senator Rand Paul. Let's, t- let's hear a little bit from him, Em, and then I'll get, your, uh, and then I'll get your, your analysis of it. Here's Senator Rand Paul, Republican from Kentucky. Take a listen. If you're not allowed to give aid to people who are corrupt, there's always contingencies on aid. Even even President Obama withheld aid. You know, he was supposed to give lethal aid. Congress said give them 300 million in lethal aid, and he sent them blankets. So presidents since the beginning of time have resisted Congress, and there's been this sort of back and forth jockeying over what is sent. But also presidents have withheld aid before for corruption. That was Senator Rand Paul uh, on NBC's Meet the Press yesterday. You know, and, and candidly, um, it's a conversation that I've been having with Republicans on this program and privately for, for weeks, which is they, they're making the case 
it's not that he was going after the Bidens. It's that he was going after corruption. Now, whether or not folks believe that, I'll leave it to, to folks to decide on their own. But that's that. That's exactly what they're going to lay out in these hearings on Wednesday and Friday of this week. Yeah, I mean, what's what's really I think is going to go going back to what Dave's talking about is where how this plays outside the Beltway. I mean, inside the Beltway, it's going to be very nuanced, like you said. It's going to be whether it's. The corruption, whether it's whether it's about Hunter Biden, whether it's about VP Biden, whether it's about 2020, whether it's about 2016, but you know, the history, the time. How much is the public going to understand of this? How much is the public going to care about this? And does this drag into 2020? And does this affect the presidential election? Ukraine, uh, the U.S. Uh, diplomat for Ukraine, Bill Taylor, is going to testify on Monday. Those hearings start at 10 a.m. Then the Deputy Assistant Secretary for European and Eurasian Affairs, George Kent. He's also going to testify. Bill Taylor, George Kent. Those are the names on Wednesday. And then Yovanovitch, Marie Yovanovitch. She's the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine. We've heard a lot about Marie Yovanovitch. She's going to testify on Friday. So, look, I mean, the names keep coming. I think the Republicans are going to use this as an opportunity to Biden bash. I think the Democrats are going to use it as an opportunity to, to continue Trump to try bash. To, to Trump bash. Yeah. Right. And I'm not sure much, much changes. Coming up, well, actually— did you hear about uh, – well, I want, let's play what Schumer said because then it, when it goes to the Senate, here's Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer, Democrat from New York. Here's uh, Chuck Schumer. Take a listen to what he said, Dave. I am ready to sit down with Leader McConnell and try to come up with fair rules. There's no reason why we shouldn't be able to do that. He's talking about the rules for when it gets to the Senate, but Leader McConnell last week got out in front of the sticks, as they're called. Remember that? Yeah, the sticks. The they're, sticks the, yeah. they're like the microphones by the clock. In the Capitol. And he, Ohio he clock. The Ohio clocks. We're so yes. inside the belt. We're so swampy inside, right yeah. now. Okay. So the Ohio clocks, if you're in your car on, and you're driving or you're listening to us outside of Washington, the Ohio clock in the Senate uh, is this clock that's a marker right outside of the Senate chamber. And it's like a, a spot for, for journalists to huddle with the... Uh, where there's mic, where there's a microphone that sometimes gets set up for the lawmakers to give. So because reporters aren't allowed to just roam around that Capitol well, with, yeah. with microphones and cameras. Yes, so it's yes. one of those allocated places. Yes. So yes. at the Ohio clocks last week, uh, Leader McConnell Dave gets out and says he doesn't really think there's going to be a removal, and that was right. the signal right after Bill Taylor's testimony gets released, and then Schumer's out there saying, you know, today, all right, we're going to get some rules, but. I don't know, McConnell, arguably the most powerful person in, in Congress right now. Yeah, there's there's this little thing called the U.S. Constitution. It's going to be a problem for, for the majority leader. Oh. Uh, and he's going to he's gonna have to at least go through the motions of a trial. I don't think he wiggles his way out of this one, no matter, no matter his extraordinary cynicism and, and his approach to this. But look, here's here's what he also said last week, which I thought was interesting. He, he pointed, I think he pointed to uh, the Bill Clinton impeachment process and, and that subsequent trial as, a, as, an, uh, as an example of the types of rules that might be adopted. And that was a relatively quick uh, proceeding. I think the case, the, the House made their case in maybe two days, and then the, the president's uh, defense team had like a day or something. So it was yeah, relatively quick. Um, but, you know, he also said, and this was sort of a classic Mitch shakedown, he he, he said he'd sure hate for, for 2020 Democrats to be tied to the Senate instead of being out on the campaign trail, sort of signaling, you know, a longer process might be politically inconvenient for Democrats, which I think is, uh, again, the height of cynicism. But I actually think there's, a, there's an open question in my mind for Senate Republicans, just assuming that we actually get to you know, impeachment we, happens, yeah. um, whether there's a strategy to actually uh, play this out a bit longer so that they have more time to make a, a better case to the American people in terms of actually cutting through the noise. If you accept the premise, all this is going to play out in 2020. Do they use this as a way to sort of try to rebut some of these these arguments that are going and, to be- And that's the big question. I mean, Nancy Pelosi was so far against 
doing this because it was polling so badly and it was not it was not helping and it was it was um if you remember nadler was the one and i was i was working for um did some work for cory lewandowski who was the first witness at that first hearing you worked for him wow i did some yeah, work private, for him yeah, yes yeah. um for um handling his media so sat behind him during that that um hearing and that was nadler but i mean you could not find nancy pelosi within 500 miles of that hearing that was just you know the far left and Nadler wanting to push that. And that, remember, that was just a month and a half ago. And that was about, now I can't even remember what they're impeaching him about back then. So, I mean, this has happened, this this Ukraine issue, it was about Mueller report and obstruction of justice. Right, right, okay, right. I do remember, but I, I've I think we've been pretty consistent it. on the, the yeah, quid but pro the quo Ukraine issue. came out of nowhere in the last few weeks. You know, the polling on this is, is interesting. And so, and, and Pelosi, I mean, it is legitimate. I, I agree. I will say I agree that this one is actually somewhat legit. This is a legitimate issue to investigate. I mean, did he did did the president withhold funds? Did, was it a quid pro quo? That's that's a legitimate issue to investigate if that happened. Um that being said, I, I don't know how this is going to play with the public, and then we're going to have to see how far the Democrats want to take yeah. this in the Senate. Um, I, I, we, generally speaking, the public hates this. It's in, it's unstable to the markets. It's unstable to their homes. It's unpleasant. People don't people like to be unified as Americans. We do not like this. So, well, as you know, someone who worked on Capitol Hill, were you on Capitol Hill yeah. during the Clinton impeachment? Um, oh, no, I missed that. I was, like, in, in high school, junior high. Oh, you're in high school. Wow. Oh. Sorry. Coming up, we're going to leave it there. Coming up. That for the, uh, coming up on the download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast awesome. on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Never a dull moment. Chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Whether I was the majority or minority, whether it was Republican president or uh, Republican House, Republican Senate, I would have made the same decision. That's what I, I factored. As I was thinking it all over, uh, I said under ideal circumstances, would I still leave? And the answer was yes. That was Congressman Peter King, the Republican Peter King. Of New York, he's he's resigned. He's not he's not running again. He's stepping down from Congress. Uh, lots of Republicans have decided they're not going to run again. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm still here, folks. Dave Brown's still here, folks. Democratic strategist Emily Miller, Republican strategist, still here, folks. Just for the record, in the break, you were giving me a little grief and saying that I wasn't born during the Clinton impeachment. For the record, I was in kindergarten. Okay, that makes it so much worse. I'm going to punch <laughs> you Emily out of here. Wow. 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 You're just wow. like, I guess it's because you're sick that you're just like, no holds there's, barred. There's vodka in my green tea. No, that's a lie. <laughs> it's the Robitussin. It's the Robitussin. Oh, Lord. You know how much trouble you're going to get me in? You got Emily? the Sudafed from behind the counter. I, I think is... meth in the corner. <laughs> this is just not this is not okay. This this for the record, you're humorous and I am boring and straight laced and buttoned up newsman. Dave Brown, Peter King's not running again for Congress. What does this say? He's served 14 terms. Did you know that? 14 terms, and he's the 20th member of his party from the House to plan an exit in 2020. 
Yeah, so uh, two comments, Kev. One sort of micro about the district, one big picture. Micro, Cook, the Cook Report still has King's uh, district as lean Republican in 2020. So open question whether Democrats are able to carry that seat and sort of lift up uh, along with, with uh, you know, the president's sort of the presidential race helping to, helping to get out the vote in that district. But, you know, big picture, this isn't good news for the Republican Party writ large because the more, the more members they have retiring, you lose the incumbency advantage, the more seats you actually have to defend. So when you're doing the math and you're thinking about how many seats you need to flip to take the majority back. Uh, it's just that much harder. harder. And, you know, for Democrats, we're going to run a strong candidate in this district and we're going to make Republicans, we're going to make Republicans uh. spend money to defend that seat. And that is money that otherwise would go. Elsewhere. I want Don Jr. to run against Chelsea Clinton in this district. <laughs> well, neither of them live there because they live in fancy places. <laughs> One, I, I, I know district two because I work for right. Rick Lazio, right, who's his district. Um, it, it, it flips back and forth, blue and red. It's very modern, but it's it's um, these are not. This is not the Hamptons. So neither Don Jr. nor Chelsea Clinton would ever go there. But um, it, I mean, I, I, it is interesting. Peter King has been around, as you said, has been around for a long time. He used to have a different district. It's been redistricted. He um, he's a moderate Republican, and he's one of the very before you were born. Need of you were well, born. You were two just, when he was elected, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah, okay. exactly. So um, back in my day, um, I'll tell you kids one day about this, but there are these moderates in the Democrats and Republicans in the House of Representatives. There are no more. I mean, Pete King. Pete King's a bit of a. Uh, we're on air. He he says some crazy stuff sometimes. He was very outspoken, and that was really his. <laughs> outspoken. That nice was word. really his his whole mantra. I mean, he was he was incredibly outspoken. And, and he take weird positions on things. I like want he, he was a maverick in that regard. I want to yeah. read some some of my colleagues reporting from the Bloomberg Terminal. It, they report quote King joins an exodus of Republican lawmakers from the House since Democrats took control of the chamber in the 2018 election. So far, the top Republicans on the Agriculture, Defense, and Natural Resources committees have all announced retirements. Uh, and they go on to say that many of those seats are in safe conservative districts, but not all. And King's district, as both of you have alluded to, is one of several that has the potential, keyword potential, to flip. I, I, I'm struck by this. I think King is that New York Republican that I think many people, perhaps, when candidate Donald Trump was running for office and tried to contrast himself with, with people like Senator Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio, he tapped into that outspoken yeah, Republican it, it, type it, 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 of... Pete Working class, yeah. Yeah, and, and so yeah. it's been interesting to see how that how Trump navigated that, but also how uh, Peter King has navigated that as well. He was one of those rare folks on the issue of the state and local tax deduction, the SALT policy during the tax reform bill, uh, who was really outspoken about how that would impact uh, many of these districts. Coming up, we're going to check in on U.S.-China trade policy. Panel stays Dave Brown, Emily Miller. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 991. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. 
While we can never repay our warriors for their boundless service and sacrifice, we must uphold with supreme vigilance our sacred obligation to care for those who have borne the battle. That was President Trump speaking earlier today on Veterans Day, hailing the legacy of the American Armed Forces in a Veterans Day speech. This, according to the Hill newspaper, he made the remarks at Madison Square Park in Manhattan, uh, where there was a Veterans Day parade. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio. My guests with me are Dave Brown, Democratic strategist, Emily Miller, Republican strategist, and... President Trump's in New York. He's got a big speech today with Veterans Day, Emily. But tomorrow, all eyes are going to be on him at the Economic Club of New York, where he's speaking at a luncheon. And Wall Street's awaiting. Wall Street is awaiting to see what he has to say with regards to U.S.-China trade talks. And there's a lot of anticipation about this. It's really been one of the driving forces of the week in terms of what economists are going to be looking out for. We're just a couple of weeks away, mind you, from when those tariffs, billions of dollars worth of tariffs, are set to go into effect on a host of different Chinese goods come mid-December. Behind the scenes, I can tell you, based upon my own reporting, that uh, the, the administration has been working with China to potentially take some of those tariffs off the table but tomorrow, a big speech for President Trump as it relates to trade. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how it affects the markets. I mean, this has been – everybody thought this deal would be struck by, or like by May, I think. Right. I mean, inside the inside the administration. And it's it's obviously become more complicated. And then the president, Mr. – you know, I'm, you know the deal maker. He know like, this is what he does. So thought he'd get the deal by September by putting all those tariffs out there and then had to push them back. So, again, we have another deadline. Um, and, uh, I mean, this is just how slow, I mean, having worked at the State Department, I spent gazillions of hours in really boring negotiations. (laughs) Dave Brown, I mean, how important is this in terms of the tariffs, especially as it inches closer into the end of the calendar year? We're just a couple of weeks away from there potentially being a government shutdown even. I mean, the uncertainty, as we've reported on this program, not much trader, not many traders, hardly any, are trading off of the impeachment inquiry or even some of those testimonies or transcripts that are being coming out. But the but the volatility really stemming from the trade negotiations as well as from the potential of a shutdown. Yeah. So December fifteenth, obviously, is when the next tranche of of tariffs go into effect if they go into effect, and they're they're on consumer goods. So I think you're right to to flag that, Kevin, in terms of the proximity to the Christmas holiday into the holiday season and what that effect will be for for ordinary Americans who are going about doing their holiday shopping, right? They're actually going to really feel it in a way that maybe they haven't felt it to date. So I think there's I'm a... I'm going to click on my Amazon app yeah, right no, now and start no buying. No kidding, right? <laughs> but, but, I, but I mean, I think there's a, there's a political reality to that and there's a market reality. And, you know, I think the president potentially has boxed himself in a bit. If you look at the comments he made last week and, and about a potential deal and now sort of walking that back, you know, the market's sort of trying to, to account for when they need to take, take him seriously and take the White House seriously in anticipation of a deal versus not. And if the market's sort of baked in that yeah this is a this is a done thing and I now mean, he's rolling it back that creates the kind of volatility that i think is problematic and the politics just aren't great this I is mean, a tax on the american people at christmas time even beyond this i mean he can go off prompter this is the thing the, the wall street crowd <laughs> oh, up at the, econo- at, at the economic club right i mean it's it's a very I mean, we got like the, the un he was he was wet he did not miss but a this word. but the thing is i mean here's someone who privately they're really drumming up to you know, watch this speech, and especially for for the economic circles that you know we're in. And so he's 
he could he could go off on trade. He could go off on the Fed chair. He could go off on the central bank. I mean, there's so much. Jared Seberg he wrote in a note. Uh, this, the quote: "This speech will be fascinating, as we don't know until he starts speaking if he will stick to prepared remarks or make impromptu comments." The headline risk. This is what's interesting. Headline risk on everything from the Federal Reserve to trade to taxes. I mean, it's it's fascinating just because of how again. He is driving the conversation with Wall Street. We'll definitely be covering the president's remarks tomorrow, all day, special coverage on Bloomberg Television and, of course, on Bloomberg Radio. We'll be talking about the speech tomorrow as well. Uh, and again, it, it, it will be interesting to see what kind of tone he strikes, because if he strikes a more calm tone or a more UN type of tone where he's more by the book, clearly he's sending a signal to President Xi that he wants to get phase one done by the end of the calendar year year of the of the uh, in terms of the US China trade talks. But if he goes off message or he starts attacking well, Fed Chair Powell I just I mean the president has been tweeting so nonstop it's I know it's hard to track. But the last night I just saw this one he tweeted that the Chinese from sixty minutes, I guess he was watching right. sixty minutes, the Chinese say about Trump's war and tariffs, he brought us to the table. This is the most prosperous economy the world has ever seen. And it's going to be a very prosperous economy. Thank you, President Trump and the Republican Party. So, they've so I been, think that's what our speech yeah, is going to get. They've been very warm. And, and, and I, I would totally agree in terms of what's coming out of the White House from Mnuchin to Lighthizer and all the rest. They have been striking a much more calm tone. Coming up, what's on the panel's radar 2020 watch? All of the latest polling data. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com iHeartRadio and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. It's time now for one of my favorite segments of the day, of, of, of the show, of the day, of the show. What's on the panel's radar? Dave Brown's here, Democratic strategist, former advisor to Senator Patty Murray. Emily Miller is also here, a Republican strategist, former State Department Deputy Press Secretary. All right, Dave, I will start with you. What is on your radar? Joe Biden. Really? Yes. Why? Because the, the Quinnipi- <laughs> Quinnipiac, I can never say that word correctly. I can. It's a fun one. It rolls right off the tongue, Dave. Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac. Not to be, not to be confused with Rasmussen. <laughs> See, this is why you're the, you're the journalist. You're the pro on that one. You know. um, but the poll that came out today, the Quinnipiac poll or that came Suffolk. out today. Sorry, let's just keep naming Biden, the Biden is at 20% in New Hampshire. Warren's at 16%, Pete's at 15 and Sanders is at 14 The and Warren thing, it just blows Yeah, well, and, and she's still leading real clear politics has her head in, in Iowa, although Pete's in, in striking distance. And so here's why I think this is interesting for Biden, Kevin. If he wins New Hampshire, game, set, match, right? Well, that's the argument. So yeah. it goes the argument, right? Because he's still ahead across the uh, average nationally. But those are kind of, those polls are a fear. They don't really matter, right? right? So if he doesn't win New Hampshire or even worse, like just performs below expectations, and his firewall collapses in South Carolina with African-American voters, 
What happens in Nevada? That's really the last stand for Biden. And when you look at the money he's raising or not raising, I just think this is a, this is a do or die moment for the former vice president. It's a good poll for him. It's a it's a it's good a poll. Is it? I mean, him. is it though? He's the former vice president of the United States, and wow, the, the, Warren the is in plus. Voice, the, it just Warren like is in right plus or minus. It was almost like you were hitting high notes there, Dave. Wait, so wait, so doing you, my best to be you, like you, Kevin. You, oh, so you think you think that. You think this is a bad poll because it's closer, and you think that Warren? What do you see in this? Help us. I don't want to put. I think I think Warren is is the definitive front runner right now. It uh, blows my and, mind. And I think Who that the vice president call? is playing catch up. I, I think he's it. playing catch up. Uh, you think he's playing catch up? What do you think of that? I mean, to his point, uh, to to Dave's point, in terms of good news, bad news for this new Quinnipiac poll that has Biden in a dead heat with Elizabeth Warren, twenty percent to sixteen percent, and Buttigieg coming on strong with fifteen. I I will never say his name out loud because it's way too difficult. It's like worse than Quinnipiac. <laughs> Quinnipiac or whatever. Um, I think, I mean, Donald Trump is like, bring on Elizabeth Warren. I mean, Donald Trump versus Elizabeth Warren is like, I mean, be a he's true, total re-election. Objectively speaking. Biden's be a little bit harder because they have they overlap in a lot of those Rust Belt states and the moderates. It would be a true populist election if it was Elizabeth Warren versus uh, a, a President Trump for re-election. I mean, it would just really show how a decade plus out after the 2008 financial collapse, the, the uh. populism, the streak in politics has really captured not just the imagination, but the attention and the ideology and the the conversations around dinner tables uh, all throughout this country and a generation that has grown up in the aftermath of the economic collapse. That is a very fascinating poll. Uh, I'm struck by Buttigieg. I think that he still is continuing to gain ground yes, 100%. In, in Iowa. He could be a VP candidate. I mean, but, and you're seeing VP. Senator Amy Klobuchar, the, the knives getting sharpened. I yeah. hate these cliches that we all use. I got it. But she's drawing the contrast even more aggressively against Buttigieg, saying that she said this over the weekend, I believe. She said if she if, if Buttigieg was a woman, it, there, that there there would be a different standard and, and he wouldn't be able to run because of a lack of experience. Yeah. And, and she said that. And there was that hit piece. I thought it was a hit piece in The New York Times this weekend. Some, the headline was like, why the rest of the field doesn't like Mayor Pete. And it, it kind of goes to the same point, Kevin, which is, you know, Senator Klobuchar is calling double standard, calling a foul there. And then everybody else is saying, well, he's a mayor of a, of a small town. You know, uh, uh, former Secretary Castro has made this point. He's, what are his real credentials? Um, I think that misses the, the broader compelling case for his candidacy, which is he is, I think, a generational candidate in the sense he's the first millennial other than Tulsi Gabbard, but he's a credible candidate. Uh, he is a veteran. He is openly gay, and that is incredibly significant, too. But he's also bringing a vision to the table where he is he is calling for generational change, but he's also not apologetic that he's, I don't know he's what pragmatic. His ideas are. Oh, see, I disagree with you, man. Look at what he's doing with Medicare for all wait, or I'm not, wait, for example. Wait, wait, wait. I, it's not a disagreement. I, I think when you look at the front runners, I think Warren and Sanders, you might agree or disagree with their ideas, but similar, you know what their ideas are. When Trump was running for office, you knew he wanted to build a wall. <laughs> I, but, but I'm serious. Yeah. I mean, they had a, th- and that was like, the thing. I think Buttigieg doesn't, uh, there's still time, but yeah, I don't he's, know he's what. He's more personality it's than more personality. It's, yeah, it's a value. It's look, I mean, what are, what's he's a, Emily, he's a beta. He's a, he's yeah, a beta. exactly. Because yeah. I mean, Emily, you're, you're a campaign person. You know, like, what is it? You're either like a, you're an issues person or you're like a values driven candidate. Right. right. Like, in, in, like last year, I, re, I, I did. I was in Texas all year doing Ted Cruz's Senate campaign. Ted Cruz is Mr. Policyman. Yes. Right. You know, I mean, goodness knows he gave me a list to carry around with 33 bills that he passed. <laughs> just the bill name numbers. 
He's they also didn't even have the names on it. Guy. And then he's running against Peter Work, who goes, "What a burger skateboarding!" Mm-hmm. And we only win by two point six percent. I mean, it's a. I mean, character personality. I mean, uh, the people vote Authenticity. on it. He reminds you know. me of Barack Obama in 2008. You can roll your eyes at that, but I mean, there, there's I a know. reason. I mean, he does have that. Don't, yeah, he has that. He has Dave that. Obama. Yeah, don't, I think so. I, for the record, I didn't roll my eyes. I, I think what I'm trying to decipher as a reporter is what would a, a Buttigieg agenda look like? Is it, it clearly would be more centrist than Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders. I do think there's still time, but I, I'm curious to see what are his specific ideas because right now, from a policy standpoint, he is reacting. His his candidacy on a policy standpoint has been reactionary to the contrast that he's trying to draw with Elizabeth Warren, that, well, this Medicare plan is this or this is this. And I'm curious to see what would specifically his yeah. plans be. You should have you should have one of the circuits. I mean, look, like the Douglas plan that he rolled out is specifically focused on what he would do for the African American community in this country. The the veterans plan that he rolled out today lays out an incredibly robust and I think pretty compelling agenda, actually touching on a lot of the issues that we talked about at the top of the show, Kevin, in terms of uh, um, claims and, and backlog and, and healthcare, et cetera. Fixing the hospitals. And fixing the hospitals. So PTSD. you know, he he's definitely rolling out a lot of paper and a lot of a lot of policies. It's just but so I, ridiculous to me, by the way, well, not to interrupt you, but I will interrupt. It's so ridiculous <laughs> it's my to me show. that these, you know what, on this issue, it is my, that, that Republicans and Democrats, no, it's not about me, that Republicans and Democrats can't get together and fix the VA. I, I mean, know, we all agree. It's, it's outrageous. It's, it's so outrageous. It is so egregious. It's so, quite frankly, when you have these baffling people, to me it's, yeah. that, that this whole, and journalism did a great and job media, in no, covering media the, the, cover, the media, media exposed a lot. It was a very popular issue, and then it became an unpopular issue, but nothing changed. It's disgusting. What's on your radar, Em? I was outraged today when I saw the UVA. Everybody's outraged nowadays. You told me I'm not allowed to say a certain word. Okay, (laughs) it's profanity. So I had to default to outrage. I'm not really outraged. I'm just annoyed. It's more of a hashtag eye roll. Um, (laughs) That UVA, the University of Virginia, canceled their annual, annual 21 gun salute for veterans. Because, um, and I was just looking, the president of, of, um, of UVA, Mr., uh, what's his name, Jim Ryan, posted this thing on Facebook, you can go look at it, about that it would just, in light, grounds in light of gun violence that has happened statement. across our nation, especially on schools and university campuses. What in the world was a 21-gun salute, which we do all the time at Arlington Cemetery, which UVA has a long history in this country, just Thomas Jefferson had built it. 21 Gun Salute have to do with gun violence. Zero, nothing. I want to read this statement from UVA President Jim Ryan, who has canceled, canceled, or or they haven't canceled. They've changed part of their annual veterans. No, they canceled it this one this year. The the, the guns are gone. They're still going to honor the veterans. I just want to be. Right. No, they took out the 21 Gun Salute. They might scare the snowflakes on campus. Here's Here's the statement. Quote, it would be disruptive to classes, and two, unfortunately, <laughs> with gun violence in the United States, there was some concern that we would cause a panic if someone heard gunshots on ground. End quote. I, Dave, what you heard? What Em had to say about this? What do you What do you think of that? I mean, <laughs> look, if if our focus on honoring veterans is whether or not there's a 21 gun salute, then we're missing the entire point of the day and the holiday and the fact that there is a Agenda. There is an agenda. There is an agenda that should be focused and prioritized in this town for the other 364 days, which which it's not in the way that I care about. So I actually, I mean, I don't really care about a 21 gun salute. I care about whether or not 
Again, we're focusing yeah, but, but, on health care. We're focusing guy, on this, this, And honestly, if it's triggering this, Republicans on Twitter, it's kind of funny. Okay, it's not triggering Republicans, but it's triggering the veterans who went to UVA. So I'm, they're all the reason. So this, he put out this statement after the fact and said, "I'm getting all this response from our alums who are veterans because this is so ridiculous, and there's no gun violence." So this is nothing to do with anything and it's just very snowflakey i don't know if that's a word yet and the point is is that this is nothing to do with the veterans but the veterans are angry about it and because it's taking a 21 gun salute which is an honor a military honor and making it into this you know liberal policy a culture issue. a cultural war yeah it's, it's an all right what's on my radar i you guys know i'm a space nerd and i want to go to outer space and do a live shot from outer space. Uh, Anthony Capaccio is my colleague here at Bloomberg, and he has this story up on the Bloomberg terminal that says, space war threats from China, Russia, getting new U.S. assessment. The U.S. intelligence community is updating its assessment of space warfare capabilities of Russia and China as military commanders express concerns about advances in the adversary's ability to jam, ram, or destroy satellites in orbit, Air Force General John Hyten requested that the National Intelligence estimate before he left his prior command at the at U.S. Strategic Command. Uh, but they're looking into this, and the new U.S. Space Command will use the updated intel estimate alongside some of their current infrastructure. So they're looking at space wars, not and not in the, like the traditional Star Wars way, but in terms of taking out satellites, oh, in yeah. terms of taking out a lot of. Uh, auto or um, i'm sorry artificially intelligenced uh computer yeah. systems but i want to thank dave brown i want to thank emily miller i also more importantly want to thank all of our veterans their family members and all of the sacrifices that they have made for this incredibly awesome country that we are so privileged to call home i'm kevin cerilli chief bless. washington correspondent for bloomberg television radio and you're listening to bloomberg 99.1 The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.